Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Chris O'Connor. I'm Principal Investigator at the Heart Failure Collaboratory, and we're here with our cardio podcast, Heart of the Matter. And today we're discussing data safety monitoring boards in a recent data safety monitoring board training academy. And I'm here with my distinguished colleagues, and I'm going to ask to go around the table and introduce themselves. And I'll start with uh, Dr. Janet Wittes. Hi, I'm Janet Wittes. I'm a statistician. I've been involved in clinical trials of many kinds and have been on DSMBs now for over 40 years. So it's time to roll off and have a new generation start. Fantastic. Thank you, Janet. Dr. Mona Fusa? Hi, I'm Mona Fusad. I am a pharmacist by training and co-PI of the Heartfare Collaboratory and helped to organize the first pilot training academy at the FDA. Dr. Maria Rosa Constanzo. I'm a heart failure cardiologist and a very proud member of the Heart Failure Collaboratory. I was fortunate to participate in the training session at the FDA. Also, I'm currently on the DSMB that Dr. Greenberg invited me to be on. And I used to be the humble servant of Dr. Mike Bristow when, as a fellow, I used to collect biopsy samples to evaluate function of beta receptors in the myocardium. That must have been a challenge, Maria Rosa. We'll, we'll talk about that after the podcasts. Dr. Anna Barak. I'm Anna Barak. I'm a cardiologist with the Nova Heart and Vascular Institute, and I was grateful to be a participant and trainee on this uh, spectacular session. My area is cardio-oncology, which I think is very relevant for the Heart Failure Collaboratory. So I learned a lot, and I look forward to continuing to learn with the, this initiative. Thank you. Dr. Barry Greenberg? I'm Barry Greenberg. I'm a heart failure cardiologist at the University of California in San Diego. I've worked in clinical trials ever since the SOLVE study, which started back in the 1980s, and I've been involved in a number of data safety monitoring boards. I was also fortunate enough to be on the faculty for the collaboratory meeting about data safety monitoring boards and Perhaps not so much to my amazement, but to my enjoyment. I learned a lot at that meeting, and I think everybody else there did too. Thank you, Barry. Dr. Vanessa Bloomer? Hi, everyone. I am Vanessa Bloomer. I'm an advanced heart failure and transplant cardiology fellow for another week. I'll be finishing this Thursday. And I was also very honored to be part of this first training experience, which I agree with Dr. Brock was spectacular and, and hope it continues in the future. Also, like Dr. Constanzo, a proud member of Heart Failure Collaboratory and very eager to be part of this discussion today. And last but not most senior, Dr. Michael Bristow. Thank you. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm Michael Bristow. I'm a cardiologist and pharmacologist at the University of Colorado. Longstanding, meaning 40-ish type years in clinical trials, including all aspects, which includes fairly extensive DSMB work. And I'm delighted that this group has gotten together to discuss this important topic. Well, this uh, academy was truly wonderful because of the people that were there and the fact that we could be in person and we were at the FDA White Oak campus and we had a 
guest visitor from uh, Dr. Rob Califf. But uh, Janet, maybe let me open up with you and say, you know, the urgency of the problem. There's so many trials now. There's so many new therapies. We're excited about new devices, new molecules, new therapeutics, new biologics. And yet, we know we need data safety monitoring boards on many of these trials to be involved at the very beginning. And the number of people that are really trained to run complex data safety monitoring boards has become limited. And the talent pool is moving up in age and some are considering retirement. Tell us more about the urgency. Well, I agree. It is very urgent. The partly there are many more trials now. There, some of them are very complicated. The interventions are new. We have interventions that we've never seen before. Cell therapy, gene therapy, and all kinds of combinations. And so it's really important that to preserve, to make sure that participants in these trials are safe, that we will learn from the trials, that people be watching the data as they come in and making sound judgments about what to do and what to recommend to trials to do. And I think the only way you can learn how to do that is by participating in these meetings, but not being the only one, not being the only cardiologist, but not being the only statistician. There's got to be some people, some whom you can learn and discuss. And we have to have lots of people, but very well trained and very sensible, as those of us who've been doing it for many years fade out. So that's the urgency. The urgency is the need for a lot of people, and the people who have been there are getting old. And as you said, the world is getting so much more complex in these trials. They're international, there's multiple different new techniques to evaluate information. Dr. Fuzat, the collaboratory embarked on this with a conversation with Dr. David Demetz. Why was this important for the collaboratory? Sure, yes. And to acknowledge Dr. Dave Demetz, who's not with us today, this really was an idea of his. And so we hope to expand on that perspective in a future podcast. But basically, during COVID, he had already created these amazing videos and had already engaged this whole statistical team to really do a lot of didactic, but it was not, it didn't have much airtime. And he came to us at the collaboratory and said he could really help, use some help with a platform um, to make this known. And we thought it was very well aligned with the initiatives of the collaboratory in training the next generation and diversifying the next generation who are involved in clinical trials. And this is a, such an important part of the clinical trial fabric that is very rarely receiving notoriety or even maybe much knowledge, but a crucial part of a clinical trial. And so we thought this was right up our alley to help take this initiative to the next stage. Well, and it was truly the leadership of David and Janet and Tom Fleming and putting together a really unique day in which there were some didactic sessions. We had former chairs at DSMBs like Dr. Bristow and Dr. Greenberg give their reflections on lessons learned. And then we went into true practicum where we set up mock 
DSMCs, and we had the young trainees co-chair those. We had sort of the mid-senior career uh, clinical investigators be part of that DMC, and the statisticians walked us through relevant data that emerged as if it was an ongoing live clinical trial. And I'm going to go around the room and just ask the team, my colleagues, what were the top takeaways from the practicum experience? And I'll start with Dr. Anna Barak, who you were a trainee. Yes. And I felt like the best days of medical school when you sit in the room and the history unfolds in front of you and say, oh my, I need to apply all of this. So it provided not only the experience of how critical DSMB role it plays in assuring, yes, safety of the patients in clinical trials, but how a visionary DSMB can help in the design in them, assuring the integrity of a clinical trial, also assuring that the right endpoints are being collected accurately. And frequently, as we learn, really decide the or drive the fate of the clinical trial. So living it through the practical experiences and getting a live discussion between the chair and the statistician was just invaluable. Thank you. And I'm going to ask Dr. Bloomer, who was also a, a young trainee who was uh, asked to chair the DSMB, that Dr. Witties was the statistician and uh, Dr. Costanzo was the clinical investigator part of that committee. Dr. Bloomer, what did you take away? First and foremost, I want to congratulate you all because this was honestly an incredible experience that I, I learned a lot. It's hard really to summarize just in one statement. I think first, one thing that I learned is how much is available to DSMB members. And it, I think it's important for DSMB members to know what they can ask for and what information can be available to them. So I think that in itself is a learning experience because I think had I not done this training, I would not know what I can ask from a trial and what information can be available to me. When can I unblind a trial and that I should ask for unblinded information? So I think that is one. I think the other one is the impact that DSMB members can have in a trial. And, and I think that's another discussion that we can have moving forward, but the impact that it can have, for example, in diversity of a trial and in terms of outcomes of a trial. And then I think a large thing that came up in our discussion and in our table is how do you balance keeping patients safe and patient safety while also maintaining trial integrity? And when is it okay to stop a trial for futility versus safety? And I think that also comes down to having enough statistical support or statistical knowledge to know when is it early enough for you to actually stop a trial or considering stopping a trial for futility. In our table, for example, we always kept going with a trial and, the, and that was always the answer. But is there a point where you should actually consider just stopping the trial for futility or should you feel comfortable enough doing that? And then when is that point? When do you feel, when should you actually stop the trial for futility or safety? I'll leave it at that for now. Well, I'm going to ask Dr. Costanzo to comment because she was on that committee and then Dr. Witties to reflect as the statistician whether this committee got it right. So, uh, Maria Rosa? Well, first of all, I think that I learned 
something that was not completely clear to me, and that is the ability to obtain unblinded data and how knowing unblinded data can help you make the right decision for the patients. And also, I think that all the statistician presence with one voice said that you should request it and you have the right to see it as a DSMB member. That was very reassuring to me. And the other thing I learned, and probably because of the way things are presented when you're asked to be on a DSMB, you think that a DSMB charter is this rigid series of rules that you have to always abide by. And instead, the statisticians present at the workshop said that the charter is actually a series of principles to guide the proceedings of the DSMB instead of being a series of rigid requirements. And the other thing that they pointed out that was very useful to me was that you have to make a decision by consensus, not by rigid voting. That was very important. And I think we did a good job at our table in reaching a consensus rather than being forced to a vote. Well, Janet, you were the teacher. Did table one get an A based on those two comments? You guys got an A plus. And, and part of the A plus was how engaged you were and how the committee was able to really argue with each other and think about different alternatives. One of the things I feel very strongly about is that committees should not be recorded. There are committees that are recorded and the nature of the discussions, remember, at a DSMB, you're playing around with decisions that have very serious consequences for the safety of the patients in the trial and for the wider world. And so it's reasonable that people on the committee will disagree and they have to feel very comfortable. And they may even disagree with themselves, disagree with the others, just you have to feel very comfortable expressing your views and your uncertainties and your certainties without feeling that there's a big brother over you listening. So I've over the years, I've changed my mind a lot. I used to think we should stay blind. I think that's ridiculous. I used to think you should vote. I think that's ridiculous. But it's been a learning experience as different committees, as something happens and you realize, no. We have to think of ourselves as one body that figures out what to do. And there's also, I mean, in the particular examples that we dealt with, it turned out that we were right, that the decision to continue the trial was right in the sense that by the end of the trial, we showed benefit of the drug. It could have been that the decision was wrong. It could have been that nothing happened and that it would have been a waste of money to continue when there was no evidence of death. But you only know that at the end. 
really well said. And um, I want to go to two of our colleagues who combined have, may have uh, more experience uh, chairing DSMBs. We'll start with Dr. Barry Greenberg. Uh, you gave some really sound advice from the lessons learned from your experiences, uh, Barry. Maybe you could uh, share a couple of those with the audience today. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Some of the uh, lessons that I've learned over the years and were discussed and affirmed at the meeting included uh, the need to look at unblinded data when we're evaluating a clinical trial to really understand what the data means in the context of the strategy or the treatment that's being tested and to be able to understand the potential benefits and also the potential side effects of that treatment. And then also the need to develop that consensus amongst the group and to do it in a way that's unfettered. And I think that I agree with uh, what Janet said very strongly about not having the meetings recorded so that people can really freely express their views on a clinical trial. What's particularly interesting to me about the meeting, and I think it served a tremendous purpose, is the fact that uh, what was discussed at the collaboratory was really the canon of knowledge that's developed over the last 40 years and how it's evolved and what we've learned and the need to be able to pass this on to a new generation is absolutely critical for us to be able to do. So I was really pleased at the meeting, the fact that we had younger people there and we could share some of these lessons. The other aspect of this is that clinical trials, and I think others have alluded to this, clinical trials are changing. They're not the same as they were 40 years ago. They're not the same as they were five years ago. And there are a lot of new ways and new methods that are being incorporated in clinical trials. And this is going to require flexibility on the part of data safety monitoring boards as they view these clinical trials, as they evolve and as they unroll. And one of the lessons, going back to the question you asked me, Chris, that I learned and was reaffirmed at the meeting was the strong support that people who had served on data safety monitoring boards offered for viewing the protocol before the initiation of the trial so that the data safety monitoring board could make their comments about the design of a clinical trial and offer a very independent and constructive critique of that trial, because after all, they are going to be monitoring that trial and making critical decisions about its continuance over a period of time. Really well said, Barry. Thank you for sharing that. Mike Bristow, you, Dr. Fuza, myself worked on a, an important paper looking at regional differences in outcomes uh, by the beta blocker trials. And then fast forward from that paper, you were the chair of the Data Safety Monitoring Board for TopCat, which faced some geographic challenges. How much, how important is it for a chairperson to look at geographic variation by outcome in an ongoing clinical trial? 
Yeah, sure. Um, geographic influences, I think, can be manifested in a number of ways. And it's certainly an important consideration when you're monitoring the progress of a trial to pay attention to that. And you need data that's subdivided by geographic region. And then if trends emerge that look like they're causing some sort of effect on outcome or enrollment or whatever, you need to do a deeper dive on that as the trial goes on. It's kind of a controversial topic because you can have, you know, random differences going on, various things in a trial, and you're dealing with incomplete data when you when you analyze the data. So it's a balance between sort of a statistical paradigm and then common sense of what could be happening in one place versus another. It's just one of the many duties that you have in monitoring a trial. I, I also like to kind of return to some general principles that have been mentioned already here, just for the sake of people who might be listening to this, who we don't really understand what a DSMB is. I think safety of the patient is paramount, but also integrity of the trial. These have both been mentioned and you have to balance those two. But the really nuts and bolts of what you're supposed to be doing or need to be doing is dealing with problems that arise. And so you can just expect the unexpected in a clinical trial. So it's incredibly important to have people on that committee who are very experienced for one thing and multidisciplinary. In other words, you need statisticians, you need clinicians, you may need a pharmacologist in some cases, you may need various people. It's not a matter of a one or two person show typically in a large phase three trial. And all kinds of things happen in these trials, which makes this work very interesting and challenging. Common sense needs to be the common denominator here when this data these data come in that you're, you need to evaluate. So I think, and I've said this many times uh, in the context of, of the academy and, and other places as we were planning, having our planning sessions, I think of all the things that you do in a clinical trial, I think DSMB work is actually the most interesting thing you can do. Just because there are these challenges that arise that need to be dealt with and there may not be any information, any background precedent for, for dealing with. So, you know, if you like to not be bored in the work you do, this is one place that you can, you can operate and, and be entertained if nothing else. Well said, Mike, but not only, you know, interesting and knowledge acquisition, but so important to the patients and to, like you said, the integrity. I mean, there's just a lot of activity ongoing in a trial that the DNC has a lot of response for. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm going to pose to the panel a, a challenging question. And uh, I don't know if I should start with Janet or not, because every once I ask Janet a question, it's like a leading answer. And everybody says, oh yeah, I agree with Janet. So um, you're on it, you're chairing a DMC, a data safety monitoring board, and data's coming in and it's clear that you don't have enough information in the special populations, whether it's in the women or it's in the underrepresented minorities, but it's deemed important. But you recognize that the sample size in those groups are small. And yet there's emerging trends in the overall trial. Do you keep going to get a more definitive answer in the 
population of women or underrepresented minorities when there is a, not enough evidence in those sets, but there may be enough evidence overall. And I'm going to start with Maria Rosa because she's a good friend of mine, and this is a hard question. From what I understood from the proceedings at our table, I think you can request to that the investigators redouble their efforts to include underrepresented groups. And in fact, I think this is one of the areas where I learned that the SMB can intervene that I didn't think was part of the charter of a DSMB. Dr. Bloomer? I will agree with Dr. Constanzo, and, and I'll agree in advance with whatever Janet says. But yeah, I think this is one of the lessons that I also learned from the training, and, and it's, you know, the impact that DSMB can have in enhancing diversity. And I think that's what I would do. I think I would make a call on the investigators to try to, to some degree, increase recruitment and retention of underrepresented groups and women, if that's the case, in this research or in this trial. But yeah, I'd be intrigued to see what Janet says or what her approach is going to be. Well, Janet, like EF Hutton, we listen when you speak. I wish my family would say the same thing. <laughs> um, I thought you were asking a very specific question. And that's probably because that's what I was thinking. You're in a trial. There are men and women that there's clear benefit in the men and there's no benefit in the women. What do you do? And I was involved in a trial like that. Uncomfortable saying what it was, but I looked at the data and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm going to want this trial to continue because it's going to be so hard to interpret. And I thought to myself, nobody else is going to think the same thing. And I cheered it so I didn't have to start. It started with the first person on my left. And he said, look, none of you are going to agree with me. But this trial has to go on. We can't have no effect in the women and a big effect in the men. And if we stop the trial for the men, it'll be just too confusing. And everybody breathed a sigh of relief. And it turned out that's what they all want that they had to continue and that nobody else would agree. But we were very nervous. We were very nervous that at the end of the day, we would be criticized. And I do think that's an issue that you need to know about when you join a DMC, that there are decisions and recommendations that you make that other people may not have and that you may be criticized and you have to be able to accept that. I do want to say one more thing. That's germane to this, but not necessarily. One of the wonderful things about being on a DSMB is the interaction among the various disciplines, where each discipline has to teach the other discipline so that you can all talk and so that you can reach a consensus. And that's really been a wonderful, for me, one of the best things about DMCs. Janet, can I ask a question in terms of when you don't see a benefit in women, isn't often the case that the benefit is not seen because women are underrepresented in the trial? I'm referring specifically to experiences I had at the end of this trial 
where people were going around saying that ICD did not benefit women. And then when you looked at the composition of the population, women were grossly underrepresented. Yes. So I think there's so many. Chris's question to us is so broad and there are many situations. Yes. If you have an underrepresented group, it's very hard to interpret the data. I'm thinking of the group where it wasn't underrepresented and yet there was a huge difference. And the question is, the question that you kind of have to pose is at the end of the trial, how will people interpret these data? And that's why it's so useful to have different disciplines talking about. Really highly informative. Wow. We've learned a lot today and I'm going to uh, let uh, Dr. Fuzat give the last word. We set up an academy. I think we trained uh, two dozen or three dozen people. David Demetz and Janet said we're about several thousand people down. We need uh, the SMB Academy to occur every week to catch up. What are the collaboratory's plans to train the necessary amount of workforce that the urgency that Janet has prescribed? Yeah, I mean, we didn't set up the academy. The statisticians did all the work. We just brought them all together and we really need to give them the credit for all of the work that they've done. And then the participation of all of our senior leaders or people with experience that came to the table. It was really a phenomenal experience. And we only just touched the surface. We're only talking about training investigators that would be members of the DSMB, but there's a whole nother group of people that we didn't even get to, which is the industry, the industry members that need a lot of training probably as well that have never been through it. Janet just touched on things that they should include in reports. And I think um, there's still so much opportunity. Um, Unfortunately, there's just not enough time and resources to train everyone, but having the free videos that the statisticians created is just such a gem. And we hope to get the word out, FDA members, regulators, even NIH members and industry could really benefit from this. So I hope that we continue to just make it known that the videos are there and um, to continue reaching the community. So really, Janet, and and we'll obviously relay this to David and and Tom, you all thought that maybe a year or two and you would retire, but I'm looking at about 10 to 15 years of an annual academy going and uh, a lot of work that we need to do. So I just want to thank this panel for an excellent discussion today. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on what's so important to the ecosystem of development, the data safety monitoring boards. And we look forward to further discussions on this topic on the Heart of the Matter podcast. Thank you. 